back. Hi. Hello and welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Dr. Glockenflecken. I'm Lady Glockenflecken. <laughs> you know, you know, the, the, in ophthalmology, like if you talk to mm. like, I'd say half of all glaucoma specialists will say it glau. Glaucoma. Do they say glaucoma? They do say glaucoma. My one of my uh, shout out to uh, Doctor Allward, who's like a, a huge person in ophthalmology uh, and in glaucoma in particular. He would say every time he said glaucoma. Mm. Glau. Glau. Is that is that like G L A U glaucoma? I can't bring myself to do it. It's just glaucoma. Yeah, right. That's what most people know it as. Glaucomflecken. Maybe I'll throw that in every now and then. <laughs> it's already a hard enough word to say. I don't. I don't want to. Uh, something you know, to make look it forward even more to. More complicated. This we're off to a rousing start here <laughs> uh, on Knock Knock High with the Glaucomfleckens. Uh, but we do have a very exciting guest. Dr. Jesse Gold is going to be here with us, and um, uh, we had a great time talking. This is the first psychiatrist that we've talked to on the show. That's right. And uh, it's very I, you interesting. Know, it brought back memories of my own um, psychiatry rotation in mm -hmm. med school. Mm -hmm. I never really considered psychiatry as like a legitimate career option. It's just I, I was always kind of more hands on. You know, wanted to do surgery mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and um, uh, but I appreciated how difficult it was. It's and that might be just because I find it hard to talk to people for long periods you of do, time. And you're not comfortable with feeling. Uh, so that yeah. was not going to be the field for you. That wasn't. I'm glad I got the experience. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the, the, the feelings, um, which is funny because my favorite skits to film are the therapist skits. But again, I'm talking to myself and it's not real life. So yeah, and those problems are ridiculous. <laughs> So it's, <laughs> it's satire. You definitely want to listen to this episode because um, uh, Dr. Gold, uh, later on in the in the episode, will be psychoanalyzing some of my characters, mm. <laughs> which was awesome and also a little bit revealing about me as a person. Um, <laughs> she's very good at what she does. Very good at what she does. So it was a little scary. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we talk a lot about mental health and with her and, mm. you know, I... I, I was going back and as I was talking with her, realizing like a lot of my content has like mental health kind of flavors to it. Like yeah. it's, it's like a lot of it's wrapped up in mental health. And I wasn't like planning on on having it be that way. Right. It just kind of. You of all people, I would not have predicted. <laughs> right. That wasn't like I'm going to make a bunch of videos about burnout and mental health and and that's it's going to be great. Uh, that's that was not my goal was just to make people laugh. Right. And uh, but the what 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 ended up happening was over the last year or so, certainly with the pandemic, I was getting a, I'm getting a lot of feedback from people about how the videos like you know helped them have a laugh at the end of a day or something right they had the sort of byproduct you know kind of unintended yeah. side effect of just helping people feel seen and heard and let off steam at the end of really hard days during the pandemic so you turned out to be this <laughs> accidental ambassador yeah kind of for burnout and mental health and physicians and, and it, it's just, well, really what it taught me was that uh there's it's a big problem it's like bigger than i thought and and so but but it was it was really nice to talk to dr gold who's actually like a, a legitimate expert in this area right. Right. Uh, who's done a lot of writing a lot of work around mental illness and also obviously treats a lot of people um, in healthcare uh, that are um, uh, struggling with mental health and burnout and so hearing her perspective was great uh, and um it puts a little bit more weight to it than you know filming a where I'm talking to myself, giving myself therapy through a, like a a mirror or something. So. Right, right, right. Or, or yeah, handing out pizzas we, or things like that. Right, Which did right. you poke fun at that in the video did, you did I with did, the the Surgeon of... General, the collaboration you? Oh, did. that's right. I think there was a pizza joke in there. Yeah, yeah, it worked with the Surgeon General. That was that was a fun, exciting. Yeah, that's very thing. cool. Um, but uh, yeah, this is let's let's talk with uh, Dr. Gold here. So. We have Jesse Gold. I mean, I guess I should introduce her so everybody knows. Jesse Gold is an assistant professor and director of wellness engagement and outreach in the Department of Psychiatry at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. She is, um, among other things, uh, of an accomplished physician, author. She's been in all kinds of publications, New York Times, 
Uh, uh, you may have heard of it. You may have heard of the Atlantic, uh, the Washington Post, all kinds of stuff. And so, um, yeah, we had a great time talking with her. So let's get to it. Let's do it. Here's Dr. Jesse Gold. Dr. Jesse Gold, thank you so much for being here. You know, I've I've been I've seen you on. We've interacted on Twitter. Uh, you know, that's that's where I got my start. I think that's that is that your primary social media location. Yes, and will it be that way forever? I can't answer that, but it has we'll been for now. I mean, I think it's good for writer types, probably more than other places. Yeah how how has uh, Twitter been for your own personal mental health? over the last few years um you know it depends on my mood so like when the pandemic first started when we were really isolated I'm extroverted and everything was at home and I had like no friends and all my patients were virtual and I felt really like isolated Mm -hmm. and social media was really helpful for that because those people are like my friends and so there was a way to sort of feel supported by that and it helped my mental health but at times where like all of the news was really bad and I felt like I was like staying up to help people or whatever the heck was in my head I would (laughs) stay up and not sleep and that wasn't super good either so I think it's like a balance and like just me paying attention to it. Now it seems that the when everything went virtual it seems like psychiatry could transition fairly well, right, to that that format, as opposed to ophthalmology. It was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> like it's it's extremely hard to do an eye exam. It's like just getting someone's eye as close to a camera as possible uh, was uh, proved to be challenging. So, how was it for you? I mean, we can do our jobs mostly virtually. Yeah. I mean, I think especially because masking actually is harder for us to see, like what's going on and emotions and things. So it was actually better virtually, but there are things I hate about it. I think it's not super good for burnout. I think you like sit in the same place for too long. I also don't feel Mm. as connected to people. So like, I don't know what that is, but anybody that I've met in person or like saw in person first, I like feel more connected to as a patient. And I feel bad about that, but it's just the truth. So um, that's sort of a transition, like work-wise fine. Yeah. I can ask you questions about feelings all day this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to ask you to, uh, we're going to talk about my feelings a little bit later, but, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. This is, this is really session. just a pre-therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Did it's you know that this was happening? This is uh, just an excuse to, um, uh, to get you on, to have some therapy where uh, we don't have to bill insurance. That's fine. I do that all the time. It's basically all my friends. So don't worry about it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I'm ashamed to say I I don't know many psychiatrists. Like, I I don't, I mean, I don't know that many people outside of ophthalmology, period. But Uh, you you just, you don't know that many people. That's, that's, that's true. He has his own world to create it. So he doesn't have to. Yeah. And he's in here alone making that world out of himself. Are you like, I'm sure a diagnosis is already popping into your mind. I enjoy talking to other people so much that I have created 20 different characters that I talk to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and only sometimes you let your family in. The rest of the time, it's mostly just you. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Only whenever they make me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I. So I'm interested in knowing what what led to you going into psychiatry because uh, I think I find those like origin stories kind of interesting. I don't have like a Hulk origin story, but <laughs> I I think you know for me. I think it's all about people's stories. So I think in psychiatry, you get time with people, you get to hear where they came from and it matters. And you can see like 100 people with the same diagnosis and where they're coming from and what is going on in their life matters to how you're dealing with them and helping them. And it's not just like diagnosis, drug, diagnosis, drug. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're practicing correctly and not like some kind of (laughs) classically stereotypical psychiatrist or bad ones people have had in the past. Um, When I went into med school, like my dad's a psychiatrist, so I didn't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's something you can say probably psychologically there, but I just was like, (laughs) I can't do that. And then 
like I was an anthro major and I have a master's in anthro and it was just like everything about it was drawing me to it. And it was like the only field where I felt like people were doing a bunch of weird stuff too, like not just seeing patients. And I just couldn't imagine like spending all day only seeing patients too, because I liked writing and I was trying to figure out how to balance that. And um, I think both, but really inherently people are really interesting and weird and fun. I mean, that's why you probably like podcasts, but it's just like talking to people is interesting. Yeah. Did you have other considerations going through like clinical rotations? I mean, dropping out. <laughs> okay. All right. That's always that, on the that table. Was, that's, that that's, was up there. I mean, yeah. I did a lot of like, am I sure I want to do this calls? And, you know, my family mm-hmm. sort of was like, but you've always wanted to do it. Or one of my favorites was like, nobody gets into Yale Med. You should just finish it. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is not a generic degree that you can just use wherever right. you want. However, right. like this is like not a thing. Um, but other than that, I mean, like a little bit of neurology because I liked the brain and I was like, maybe I can do this. And then it was so sad and I couldn't do anything for anybody ever. And I just, I, I couldn't do it. And they didn't like, mm-hmm. I have a sense of humor that maybe doesn't work with neuro patients as well as it does for psychiatry <laughs> patients. I mean, I think for the most part, a lot of people who see psychiatrists like have a pretty dark, sarcastic sense of humor. And I don't know if that comes it. from like emotional pain, but <laughs> right. um, it makes it easy to, I don't have to kind of like fake it very much. And yeah. I felt like in neuro, I just, I was trying, I had a really cool mentor and I tried so hard to not do psychiatry, but I was like, oh, I can't see another stroke <laughs> and like cancer that's not curable. And like, mm-hmm. I just can't do it. So yeah, not a lot of stuff dropping out neuro. Uh, health policy, maybe. I mean, I did yeah. that stuff before I went into med school for a little bit in DC and like always sort of was like, how do you be an advocate? Maybe I'll just be an advocate, but uh, who knows? That's probably where I'll be in 10 years anyway. So, well, you've kind yeah. of done a bit of that in your writing, right? You use that to advocate now. So, yeah. you, you wove that in there. Uh, I'm it telling you, too, like yeah. using humor to deal with emotional pain, like that's right up my alley. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I can I can totally relate to that. You're like, does your eye hurt? No. <laughs> well, it's it's funny you talk about like, you know, using humor mm-hmm. with with patients and uh, people ask me that all the time. Like, is, is yeah. are you like the same way with patients? And I always tell them, no, like what I do in my skits, like that type of humor it's, it's not kind of where I go with patients. It's, it's, I, I, I'm like always just more safe, like dad jokey type of, you know. But yeah. Your patients are not there to treat their emotional right, pain. Right. So, <laughs> so it's a little different. So for you, I feel like, like I, I honestly, to a certain extent, I can't really be my full self, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with patients, but it, maybe it's different. Is it, do you feel like it's different? Do you feel like comfortable because you have those such a strong relationship with those patients? <laughs> I think because I don't listen to the things they taught us in psychiatry about like not (laughs) being yourself, right? So there's just like this whole camp based in psychoanalysis and like old school psychotherapy that like you're supposed to exist in like a blank slate where like the person is there and you're just there to reflect them and that's all you do. And like like newer forms of therapy, yeah, like newer forms of therapy, like dialectical behavioral therapy, stuff like that. People are much more open about their own stuff and like honest. And I practice more like that. And I feel able to do that. I mean, I'm sure there are people where I'm not their cup of tea and, you know, they can find other psychiatrists, but I think it works well for, like I see college kids, it works well for them because it's usually the first time they interact with mental health unless they had a a significant childhood mental health experiences um, and healthcare workers. (laughs) like They don't even want to be there. So, (laughs) I mean, as many jokes as I can give to kind of lighten that mood is nice. And then I think like people who are really sad, like, uh, chronically struggling and have like suicidal thoughts and stuff like really enjoy being like well today I don't want to die and it sounds really bad like if I had yeah. that conversation with anyone else and they'll say the same thing they'd be like this is not a conversation my parents could handle but they don't and that's actually a positive and there's reasons that's mm-hmm. a positive and if it's funny for them to live in that space like I'm happy to support that being funny even though sometimes I'll be like that's kind of like a messed up thing to say <laughs> Yeah, But there is something to humor being, you know, a really good coping mechanism. I mean, that is certainly, 
our story, like he mentioned, you know, we joke about cardiac arrest and cancer and all sorts of things that are probably not very politically correct to joke about. But when it has happened to you, I feel like you get, you know, some license to some darker humor than you might have otherwise. <laughs> but exactly. it does. It helps. It breaks it up too. Like I've I've said that yeah. I use the videos like in my talks and stuff. But if I'm like talking about burnout oh, and his mental videos? health, yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah, because it's That's like right. because it's like very very hard to talk about burnout to people in healthcare. Like they want to punch you in the face 95% of the time. And so it's already sort of like a hard topic going in. And then there's like balance of trying to do it. And then you're kind of like, how do I keep doing this in a way that is not going to make them hate me. And so comedy breaks are nice. And a lot of your videos like are about that stuff in a way that people Mm -hmm. laugh instead of saying like, why are you trying to tell me this story that's just like <laughs> like not interesting and depressing? And then sometimes I'll be like, and now that I've depressed you, it's time, you know, like but it breaks <laughs> it up to have like silly cartoons or silly videos or, you know, but that your videos are like about the topic, but they're just like in a different way that make people laugh because they're just like wanting to let off steam. And I think that helps. Yeah. I wanted to, you know, I think we have a good opportunity here to try to put the mental health of worth healthcare workers in perspective, because uh, we've already talked about burnout. I mean, that's obviously with the pandemic, it's like taken on a whole new level. Um, and so if you could just help us help people listening, understand like what, where are healthcare workers at right now compared to like 2019? I mean, I think it's really important that people, especially not healthcare people, realize that like we weren't awesome before. Like it wasn't like the COVID (laughs) fairy came down from the clouds and messed up healthcare and we all of a sudden were like sad. Like COVID had its unique stressors, obviously, and it's dragged out and that has been a stressor too. But like COVID itself didn't create the problem. It just made it worse. And so I think that's really important to point out. Um, Our mental health was always worse than most fields to begin with. Burnout worse, depression worse. Like we go into med school equivalent to age match peers and then we're all of a sudden a lot worse depression wise. And so it's very much like data would say training started it. (laughs) And so, I mean, our mental health has not been good, but COVID in it sort of tons of unique stressor way, whatever you want to pinpoint, like not knowing what to do, um, pressures from patients who don't want to do things you need them to do, um, dying, the prospect of actually being able to get sick from what is going on and seeing fellow healthcare workers yeah. die. Like these things that are like new stressors in in theory or new stressors in a different light. Um caused different problems, which made our burnout worse, which made our depression higher, which made our anxiety worse, which made our loneliness higher, which I also think is important. I think people Mm. think that because we go into work every day, we're like totally fine. (laughs) But a lot of us don't talk about how we're feeling or how we're doing. And because of that, like you can really be struggling and it's isolating to struggle alone. And I think it's important to point out that nurses are often worse than physicians, but physicians have the microphone. And then that doesn't even count like the rest of the hospital system infrastructure that just we don't have data on. But like, I see people who work throughout the hospital in other ways, including just people's like administrative assistants. And there, you know, there's a lot of struggling kind of across the board. And it like, permeates because burnout's kind of contagious. And if you're cranky because you don't want to be there or you don't like what you're doing or your job is just not what you expect it to be or all of these systems that are like inherently broken in healthcare that you talk about so much, like those are there, those are worsened by COVID, but like you Mm -hmm. get so frustrated with the system that it affects you and then it affects everyone you're working with and it affects your family. I also see like families because I see people who are dependent. So, I mean, I think we just don't like extend the lens as much, but it's, you know, I don't think we're doing great. And I don't think when the emergency declaration ends in May that we're going to be awesome again, um, because we weren't awesome to begin with. And, and trauma itself has like a pretty long tail and timeline. And so, I mean, I think it's a, this thing's going to be a longstanding thing we're dealing with and needs to be a longstanding thing we care about. So hopefully that right. ends up being true, but not just like a bunch of bands. So we don't just forget about it once, you know, people feel like we're past the pandemic and everyone's going to be okay again. It's not the case. 
Yeah, I mean, I think hospitals talk about it more, but it sort of was like they were forced to talk about it more. Like, and I don't know that they really want to keep talking about it and investing in it. I mean, I think there's a significant financial problem when people burn out and leave their job, but it's hard sometimes for them to like put that stuff together and and see the value in investing in this stuff. And it's easier to fix the rest of their problems in healthcare with money that they need to fix. And so I think it's just like trying to figure out how to balance all those needs, but it's hard. What do you think a good solution for burnout is? I mean, I think a lot of people just say self-care and then that's turned into its own dumb little buzzword. It's like a bubble bath is not going to fix this. You mean mean beyond pizza parties? Yeah, beyond... Burnout pizza and wellness I do modules. Like a, I do like a burnout <laughs> pizza. Uh, you know, you know we, all, like we, a, we, we create a big talk about pizza. Part, I mean, yeah, honestly, we don't need to get rid of the pizza. Honestly, I love pizza. It's just like, like maybe do something additional. Th- th- maybe, th- maybe something else, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm the person who's like giving those lectures. So if you've ever gone and wanted to throw something at that person, that's me. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, in general, it's like, how do we address like the things going on with the system at the same time as the things going on in our culture? And I think a lot of like the stuff that you guys talk about is a cultural thing. Like mm-hmm. these are the things that are stereotypes because this is the culture of medicine in these fields. This is how we deal with feelings in those fields. This is how we deal with each other in those fields. And the culture of medicine stigmatizes mental health makes it hard to notice signs and symptoms in ourselves because we've normalized a culture where you can find someone who's worse off than you or equivalently bad. But like just because nobody's sleeping or functioning doesn't mean that's like okay, right? right? And so our culture has a ton of problems. And at the same time, so does the system. And I think we've done a really bad job like articulating that both things are true. So like at one point, it was really focused on like, pizza parties and the individual and these talks. And so people just got really turned off and really angry. And so it swung towards all of the problems are systematic. And there are lots of systematic problems, but they take a really long time to fix. And so if all you're doing is grumbling about the systems problems that are like maybe never going to fix like residency to fix residency you have to like start from scratch (laughs) so Mm -hmm. you know those things are big big issues and people if you only just think about them you just get hopeless and really like Mm -hmm. have no agency or control to fix anything so you have to go like well what can I do and that's where culture and talking about it and getting more open and noticing signs and symptoms and all that stuff comes in. So I think we have to do those two things in parallel. And some of that's just like how we talk about this in a better way. But the system stuff, I mean, there's a lot of symptoms. Yeah. There's a lot of system how do you, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's something that I, I struggle with, with some of my videos, like, cause you know, cause that's kind of what I, a lot of big part of what I do is I pick these system things and, and I, make a skit out of it, mm-hmm. make jokes about it. Yeah. But then like underneath it all, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, like what good is this actually doing? Because I'm not proposing any solutions. And I think that that can be hard to, to, you know, deal with is that the idea that we have all these systemic issues, but what on earth do we do? Like how, and and I, I don't know, I, like, I don't know the answer to any of these things. Like what, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep telling, you know, saying jokes and writing jokes about it because that's what I do best. But we need like smarter people like you, Dr. Gold and, and Kristen over here to actually come up with solutions. Can you, can you fix it, please? Can I, can I fix it? Can you guys, can you guys just fix it's it? It's hard. I mean, psychiatry prior offs are super common and stuff. So, I mean, I. Oh, really? Mental, you got, you're a big, it's a big part of that. Big prior off field and big, like you don't actually know how to practice field and, you know, access and mental health is just a yeah. hot mess of a situation. So I think like inherently the system that I represent is a broken system and that's really hard. You know what, though? I don't think it's true that that you're not doing any good. Like, you might not be coming up with a with a short-term solution for this specific problem that you're making a video about. But I think what where change starts, where large-scale systemic change starts, is in public opinion. And that is often, you know, 
influenced by the arts, you know, and by by things like writing and and dumb comedy videos and, <laughs> you know, podcasts yeah. and, and things like this of just bringing awareness. And also a lot of the systemic issues are driven by the problems with the insurance system, at least in the U.S., um, and that system relies a lot on making everything convoluted and obscure. And so anything we can do to explain and make transparent what those tactics yeah. are, mm -hmm. you're educating the public. And then once they know that, they're not going to continue to stand for it, right? Like you're, you're just building a critical mass. And once you hit that critical mass people will start to demand change. So I don't think you should downplay, you know, any any one individual person. Sure, like maybe one person can't make a difference, but everybody doing all of these things and putting these ideas out into the world, I think will collectively make a difference. And it, and it helps if you're wearing a costume while you do it. Yeah, right. the, I think wearing the unicorn <laughs> thing is always the answer. I, I wore a unicorn onesie for Halloween and I've done it twice. Did and it's you? just doesn't Psych in Halloween is an interesting thing, but it, it's amusing. <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, I mean, I agree yeah. a lot of it's just like talking about it does make a difference and hearing people makes a difference. I think we forget that like over the pandemic, I struggled a lot with like patients were really sick and not getting better. Um, and there was nothing that I could do to change COVID. Like it wasn't right. going away. And so having that it's not like I've ever just been like oh you're stressed at home I'm gonna fix your husband like I don't like ever really have <laughs> but that can but can you it, though I will work is on it is that part of the menu it is okay couple, couples therapy we'll talk later yeah no <laughs> <laughs> but I think that like I just couldn't see, like everyone felt unfixable and I couldn't mm. see that I was doing anything and like my personal therapist was like do you think all you do is like fix people? Because that doesn't, that's not what you're doing. Like they don't have anywhere else right. to go to talk about this stuff. Like that's also helpful. And I had to like reframe that. And I think we take for granted, like as coworkers, as friends, as supervisors, like what being seen and heard does. And I think through comedy, like that's what you're really doing, right? Is like right. you're taking something that you're experiencing, people have told you they've experienced and putting it on a bigger stage to say like, you're not alone in experiencing this. And like, yes, I'm making fun of it, but I'm smartly making fun of it to also say this is like hugely an issue and you need to fix it, right? See, so I told you I'd, I'd end up getting therapy. I told you we'd, we'd get there. We'd get there eventually. I get there sometimes without trying. It's like my brain. <laughs> no, and, and you yourself, I mean, you, you're an accomplished writer. Like you've been in all kinds of things, New York Times, Atlantic, you know, time, like uh, it's everything. And so um, I think, and I, I always encourage trainees and young people to, to get on social media because we need, we need more people in medicine. There are trusted voices, you know, talking about these things. And so um, especially in, in your area with uh, mental health and burnout, that's, that's so important to have, to have your voice. So thank you for doing um, everything you do. And you've also written, a, you have uh, some interesting stories that you've written about in, in, in a book, right? Yeah. So I want to, when you're like, come up with a funny story, the story that I came up with, I was like, I just wrote this in this like volume of a book that is not come out for a while, but is coming out in April um, called What We Bring to the Practice of Medicine, Perspectives of Women Physicians, which is just like, they're a bunch of different essays by female doctors. And like the thing I wrote about was the thing I wanted to talk to you about. And I was like, I'm going to yeah, get in yeah. trouble because they're going to, I'm not allowed to do that, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. Cause I, <laughs> Let's do it. I, I don't think this book. will come out till April anyway. So it's cool. I asked cause I was like, I'm going to get <laughs> okay, in good. trouble. Um, but you know, I think probably in the same way that you have experiences where you're like, this is why I'm an ophthalmologist. Like half of med school for me is like, that's why I don't touch people. Um, because it's just like not a great idea. And, so we say to our children. <laughs> yeah, don't touch people. It's not good. And and I think that the, the story that came to mind when you said think of something funny was like, we have this like urgent care clinic and an occasional attending there. And they had us just like running around seeing patients and then presenting them. Um, and one of my patients needed a guayac. Um, so like, test for blood in your stool by so doing yeah, what so, you'd think okay <laughs> right so a guayac it's like a little um 
Is that an acronym? No, no. Well, no, I, I, don't, don't actually, I don't actually know that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it means. You just either, asked a but... really hard question. <laughs> Both <laughs> yeah. of us Sorry. are not qualified. What is to it? That. No, we're That's not. right. But it's I'm like, it's like a little. I can tell you how I feel about. Someone that tell me in the comment. But it's just like a little <laughs> yeah. test thing, yeah. and you just you put a, a some of the fecal matter on the thing, and then it tells you if there's blood in it, right? So anyway. yes. Okay. And dumb question. Yes. Can you not just use your eyeballs? No, I mean not no, that no, you'd no, want to. If it was like really bad, you might be blood. able to yeah. see that. But if it okay. wasn't, it was like subtle. You wouldn't. It's like yeah. a detector okay. kind of. Yeah, they're looking for that really small is amounts. The of world's blood. worst job. But it's okay. not a great job. I think nurses probably do it a lot more than we do. And like there are things in med school. That's, not, that's yeah. not all they do. It's not someone's yeah. only job is to do like, <laughs> like, like a career guayac testing. <laughs> yeah, That's just a small enough. component. If <laughs> if that is, if there's anybody out there that does have that as their entire job, I'm so sorry. Uh, we don't mean to ridicule the, your job. But anyway, if I'm I don't allowed think that's to curse, case. that's shitty. But I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Go that's ahead. Nonetheless, <laughs> it was a pun. I, I it know, was a I pun. Know. I'm being funny. Um, so basically, <laughs> we I went so like I went into this. That was what had to be the outcome. I had never done one before because a lot of things in med school are like that. And the attending was like nowhere to be found. And the nurse was like, just go do it on your own. Like they taught you how to do that in class, right? And I was like, I think so. And so like I went in and like did what I had to do and then like came out and uh like tried to do the card thinking that I knew what I was doing and like put the detector on it and nothing happened and so I'm like okay maybe this is fine and then I was like this doesn't seem right like I'm pretty sure I didn't do this right like I'm gonna get the nurse and I went and got the nurse and she just starts like like laughing at me and I'm like why are you laughing and she's like you have to open it oh and so like I literally just like put it on poking it it's like if it was a matchbox (laughs) it looks kind of like a matchbox it'd be like it was a matchbox and I just put it outside of the matchbox instead of getting the thing inside so like Mm. I didn't put it on the thing that detects anything I didn't I I put the drops on it but it was just like Mm. I put like I put poop on the outside just of the thing. Yeah. Making a little mud pie. On yeah. The, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize like that's a thing. Like, what do I have to do now? And she's like, you have to go back in there and do it again. Oh, no. And I was like, that's like a lot. You, I have to go do that to him again. And she's like, I'm sorry. Time out. <laughs> you have to do that to him. I was assuming it was like an after the fact situation and, and you collect it. You collect I, it, but you collect it like this. Yeah. Manually. Oh, oh yeah. no. Yeah, how, how are you going to get the poop? <laughs> oh, I thought they would just, you wait for them to give you a sample. Well, sometimes it's hard for people to poop on command. Yeah, no, it's like you, oh, you have them oh, bend boy. over and cough and instead of their prostate, you're going up the other way. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. 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 And so, so I just got exponentially worse. It got worse. <laughs> yeah. And so right. they made me go back in. Um, yeah. And I was like, I can't tell him that. Like, I can't tell him I screwed up and I have <laughs> Sorry, to do this. Sorry, I was to- just playing with your poo. This yeah. time it's for real. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I like, I did this without no, you know, like I did this without having any idea how to do this. Like, I'm not going to say that to him. And the nurse was like, no. I'll go with you because I feel bad for you. And the attending's still like nowhere to be found. Surprise. Um. And I mean, maybe that was good because I was so embarrassed, but the nurse was like laughing, but so nice about it like they are. And she was like, I'll go with you. And so she's like, the med student needs to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, no. I have to do it again. And, he, <laughs> and he's like, well, can you at least introduce yourself next time? <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, I can't even. I was like, I'm so embarrassed, but. That was a good joke. <laughs> and so I did it and like, whatever. But it's like afterwards, I was like, this is why I can't do procedures. And like, that's not even a procedure. I was just like, I can't. I, this is bad. I don't know what I'm doing ever. Like, this makes me so anxious. And like, I'm just going to screw up all the time. And so, yeah, I mean, it's embarrassing. But that's the story that I wrote about because I was like, it's like sticks out of my head as this thing that's just like, like very common in medicine, but like very embarrassing to do something like that. 
And you haven't done a rectal exam since. <laughs> I haven't. No, I mean, I don't have to do. I mean, anyone Me who neither. wants to go into psychiatry, um, <laughs> I don't I have a stethoscope here just in case something bad happens. But I, I don't think most psychiatrists even probably have it anywhere near their office. And like, I don't have to do anything like that, like at all. I mean, that I is guess a I stereotype really that. To. That's a stereotype that rings true, right? It's, you know, it's, it's a psychiatry. You don't, you don't, you're not doing a lot of physical exam, you know. No body fluids generally. Not, not, no, not a lot like of body we'll get fluids. labs, but I'm not the one doing that. And like, I will yeah, like, yeah. you know, if something was wrong, I can do it. Like, but just the sure. point of seeing someone who went to med school, but I'm not right. choosing to do that. Like even on an airplane, like when they're like, is there anybody? And I'm like, no, there's not. I'm not here. You can't see me. And then like, you know, I've still had to do it eventually. And I'm like, well, I can hold their hand and ask them how they're feeling. <laughs> you can guide them through the process. I've never, I've never related to you so much. It's, what, That's what his if, biggest fear. What if you and I, what if we were the only ones that responded on it? Like, well, as talk long about as I'm there, luck. I guess it'll yeah, be okay. Kristen, I can, be, I'm good, in a, good in a pinch. Um, but man, that it's would be super rough. interesting. I just gave a talk at the academic surgery conference and this person came up to me after and said, I don't know if you remember me, but like I did an emergency with you on an airplane. And I was like, what? Oh, and she's wow. like, we had this person who like overdosed and I didn't get up to go because like I'm going to wait. And then eventually like they kept asking. And so I went and she, like. She, she was doing most things, but she literally like she looked at me during it and was like, this is more your gig than my gig. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And so it was like sort of we kind of tag teamed the mental health aspect of it. But oh she gosh. was like, yeah, after that, I tried to get not like naltrexone and I'll like on the, like make sure that there are ways to have naloxone on the airplane because yeah. like they didn't have it really. And like we couldn't use it. And we just had to keep waking the person up. And um. Wow. And I was like, she was like, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm pretty sure that like I advocated for this after meeting you. And I was like, this is super surreal. But like these experiences are traumatic for me because I, I, I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> so like it's right? very interesting that I like stuck out to your mind when I was giving a talk because I probably was still traumatized in front of a bunch of surgeons giving a talk and had the same sense of humor. <laughs> Right. That's awesome. <laughs> You're back in that headspace. Yeah. Man. Right. Well, we that should all hope crazy. to have somebody more accomplished on a flight during an emergency. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I would certainly need. I think I'd probably defer to you if we're being honest, unless the patient's wearing contacts. But um, <laughs> contact anyway. lens emergency. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Anyone have pseudomonas? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with Dr. Jesse Gold. Hey, Kristen, do you know why a stethoscope is so difficult to use? Because there's no heartbeat in an eyeball. That's actually a really good point. But also, the heart is quiet. The mm. sounds can be distant and you're in a noisy environment trying to listen to all the beeps and boops. Mm. Uh, but with Echo Health's 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope, it's easier than ever. You get 40 times sound amplification, active background noise cancellation. Even an ophthalmologist could hear the heart. Yeah, you know, I really could have used that before I had to do 10 minutes of CPR and you. It leads to earlier detection, better outcomes, definitely something that's personally meaningful for us. We have a special offer for our U.S. listeners. Visit echohealth.com slash KKH and use code NOC50 to experience Echo's digital stethoscope technology. That's E-K-O health slash KKH and use NOC50 to get $50 off plus a free case plus free engraving with this exclusive offer, which ends April 30th. All right, we are back with Dr. Jesse Gold. So uh, I, I realize I have a valuable opportunity here. I mean, speaking with a very accomplished psychiatrist, um, I, I want you to, uh, I don't know if psychoanalyze is the right term, but uh, for lack of a better way of describing it, I want you to psychoanalyze my characters. I want you to, so you're familiar with the, the, the videos, you know, you've seen a handful of them. Yes. I told you that you needed to watch some you of them. You did, but I've watched most of them anyway. <laughs> I'm a big you. fan of things where it takes place in mental health and like makes a point yeah. that way. And since I see healthcare workers, it's like smack in my 
comfort zone. So uh, feel free to, um, I'm going to just name one of the characters that I play. And um, I just want to hear your thoughts on the personality, the maybe some mental health tips for that character. Uh, that would always be helpful. Let's start with uh, an area that you're, you're, you're very familiar with, and that's trainee mental health. So how about Bill the resident? Are you familiar with Bill the resident? I am familiar. So, so let me just set up Bill as a character here. Um, as far as anybody who watches my content knows, Bill is probably the only resident in this entire hospital. And so... It's up to him uh, to, to do a lot of the kind of grunt work and working with all these different doctors. And so what do you think about Bill, the resident? I think that like there's in this session, he doesn't talk about anything he's struggling with until kind of towards the end, because it's like easier to just kind of like not mention it because it's like a failure or vulnerability to mention that you're struggling with things in medicine, especially as a trainee. Um, and so like saying, I have too many pagers, I think is like how he started the conversation. And it's like very concrete, right? Like it's a, a, an objective thing. It's not feelings. It's like, here's this thing that I don't super like. It's like saying, I can't get, go to the bathroom a lot at work, right? So it's like these things that are true about residency that are horrible, but like an easy sort of in into the conversation, but it takes a while for him to get there. So like, with people like that, it's a lot of like trying to like give them time to like actually focus on themselves and point out that they're not. So like, oh, it seems like you're only talking about work. Like, what does that feel uh, like? Right. And I don't think most of us are good at that in medicine, but particularly there's this fear, I think, in trainees that like if you stop and deal with your stuff, like you're just never gonna be able to keep going, right? Like I had a trainee say like, well, what if on the weekends, like my only weekend off, I sleep all the time. Like that's not self-care. Like yeah. I'm just sleeping all the time. And I'm like, well, if you sleep all the time, you obviously need to sleep. Like, you, you know, just don't beat yourself up for it. But like, they'll even like say they don't do self-care, right? Because they think they should be doing other things, right? And so I think really trying to focus on like how to focus on yourself in the context of like a really hard, really messed up system that's even worse mm -hmm. for them as workhorses and pointing out how often they don't because I think we get in this mindset of like not being able to even see that like we're there too. Yeah. This is incredible. I, I like, this is great. I already like this. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this we, because, you know, also, also because Bill, like I am Bill, like I, I made that character, that resident character from, that is probably the most personal character to me, honestly, mm -hmm. um, because I, I draw on all of my own insecurities that I had during med school and residency and just <laughs> form them into this character whose name is Dr. Bill Bill. My first name is William. Uh, so his, his, his full name is Dr. William William, but he goes by Dr. Bill Bill. I don't know why uh, it just it makes it more fun. Way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that was just free therapy for you without me realizing. <laughs> exactly. See, as this is, this was the ultimate goal here. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right, let's do, do a few more. Um, how about the neurologist? Now, the neurologist, did you see the therapy session I did with the neurologist? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, so you have him coming in and you ask him what personality disorder he is. And he says, like, his brain is perfect and he is amazing. And so it's it's like narcissism in some capacity. But it's also like, again, this sort of like externally focused like, here's how all of these things that are going around me are wrong, and I'm great. And I don't want to focus on me. But it's a different reason, right? It's just like, I'm so well functioning <laughs> that like, everybody else is the problem. But uh -huh. like, that's not true, right? Like, we all are part of the problem. And certainly when you're you list off a bunch of things that he did, um, to try to like bring attention to the fact that he's part of the problem, but he doesn't have any sort of like empathy or emotional awareness about that. And I think that that's like, obviously important to point out and notice like you're part of the team too and like if you're not you, there are things that you're doing wrong and contributing to this as well and like how do we work on like being nicer to people in the yeah. context of like 
like if you are nice to people, it doesn't make you weak or bad or less intelligent, right? Like mm -hmm. there's some kind of defense on like what actually being nice to other people in those circumstances is going to do. Like, I don't know what that is, but like for a lot of psychotherapy, it's like sitting and listening and trying to hear what kind of stuff people bring up a lot and trying to figure out why. And there's usually some reason, like some therapists would say it's like family oriented yeah. but i think medicine takes people from certain family systems and then puts them in a stressful culture that's its own family that can like draw out some of the problems that existed before or like emphasize them um mm -hmm. and i think that's what i would notice have you ever started a therapy session by asking what personality disorder will you be exhibiting today <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's just because personality disorders in psych are interesting. Like some of us don't talk a lot about them with people. Um, narcissism, like real narcissism, not like narcissistic yeah. traits like he has. Um, people don't show up at therapy and they're mostly not helpable. <laughs> the people who show up are their partners, right? And so mm. it's a lot of, it's kind of interesting. But, um, you know, we don't talk a lot, a lot about those people unless it's really interfering. And yeah, I mean, I, I mostly start session with like, how's your week? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a much I think uh, a little more normal much better way to begin a therapy session <laughs> so so a lot of the um what i touch on is um, interpersonal conflicts right between specialists so i'd love to hear your take on the uh, cardiologists and nephrologists and the back and forth there yeah i mean i like that and the surgeon and the anesthesiologist i think that, yeah that's like, another one we have a lot of like medicine inherently like is a team sport <laughs> like mm -hmm. we can try as much as we want to be the best individual but like there are nurses there are residents there are other specialties and i think that we it's like this, like trying to put, it's like being in a bad marriage, probably it's like trying to put something on the other person that like makes it so you don't have to deal with your own stuff. But like inherently, like both people have issues and they're affecting each other and then in, and then in turn affecting the environment. And since like we work in healthcare, the environment is patients. And so we have the ability to like actually disrupt people's lives when we don't get along or we like make fun of people or we like Mm -hmm. little the things that they do that we don't like i think like the anesthesiologist like the anesthesiologist saying telling the surgeon they're malum potty four yeah like it's silly yeah, it's kind of mean you know <laughs> it's silly but it's like i think you know like to function as a unit they have to not probably be doing that super often <laughs> but i think yeah. it it's like makes them feel better to be better in certain circumstances i think like it yeah. just is a way of surviving probably to be like well at least i'm not that person <laughs> um at least i didn't go into whatever like psych gets thrown into that all the time i remember like in surgery when i was in in med school someone was like are you gonna go into what your daddy does because my dad was a psychiatrist and it was like very belittling of that and i was like why'd you say daddy like that's just weird but i think that people like to in like in fight because then their insecurities are like they can kind of fight them and say like why they chose the other thing because they're good at whatever. So like your ortho person's like you, you were like, but you're good at bones, right? Like I think that <laughs> we have our own things that we're good at and we chose specialties for a reason, but like for some reason, like putting our strengths against other people's weaknesses is like an inherent part of medicine. Um, and it probably shouldn't be, <laughs> um, but you know, if you uh, when you when you have orthopedic surgeons that come, if you have an orthopedic surgeon come in, do you have workout equipment in the room with you just to make them feel more comfortable? I mean, sometimes you Is know, <laughs> everything but a yoga you have mat. The session in the gym. Yeah, we go to the gym. We walk. There's a there's a psychiatrist at Stanford who does all walking sessions. I think people really like oh, that. Really? Um, yeah, and like go cool outside too. and stuff. I mean, it's like a little less private, but you decide that sure. that's okay by you to have a conversation outside walking um right but yeah no i don't have gym equipment and, i have like stress balls and stuff <laughs> there you go and finally obviously the big one the psychiatrist so uh, first of all what do you think about the psych my psychiatrist outfit is it accurate 
Or do you find yourself uh, wearing houndstooth and corduroy and drab, dark colors? Yeah. Which <laughs> I don't know what you're, I, it's hard for me to tell what you're wearing it's definitely right now, dark. but it's dark. <laughs> it is dark. I mean, I don't always wear dark colors, but it's winter. Um, but I think, I don't, you know, it's very classic psychiatry, like old school sort of Freudian psychiatry, like old dudes, old white dudes who like, dress like yeah. they bought stuff at some fancy suit store and i don't know wear bow ties like weird pants also is pretty common my dad wears oh. a lot of like pa like green pants with sunglasses <laughs> like just things where you're like i don't understand but like a lot of psychiatrists do that um you know like the like female psychiatrists and stuff a lot less um you know we don't wear white coats really so that's yeah. true i had like a one rotation in residency that for consult where they made us all wear white coats and i refused because i was like no like i'm not doing it just for this <laughs> right. but we don't really wear white coats so like that's true but yes like like a very stereotypical old yeah, school yeah. psychiatrist i get it i wouldn't go to that psychiatrist like personally <laughs> <laughs> because i would look up their picture and be turned off immediately um but that's just like you know ever, to each their own right like you want somebody you're gonna want to talk to and like fit yeah. is everything are you so. saying my my psychiatrist is not approachable is that is that what you're telling me <laughs> i would say you try i but i do think <laughs> but i think that like give me some tips like how do how do I how what do you think about my psychiatry and my therapy job skills giving people like feedback and talking to them I I mean I obviously don't point out all the things people do wrong which I think you obviously do for a reason though like it's for your sketch like you're just right. saying things out loud that I mean I wouldn't say um you do some of the classic like how does that make you feel stuff that we do mm. I mean I think we do a lot more like with people who aren't good at feelings we do a lot more like sitting in silence which is super uncomfortable for everybody just to see what happens or a lot of like I've noticed that you just get really angry every time you talk about uh, like have you noticed yeah. that and they're like what's anger <laughs> like, what do you mean anger <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about that person's just annoying or you know whatever and so yeah. a lot of like naming emotions out loud and in that kind of group of people is pretty common like a lot of trying to talk about anything but work I have the same problem in my mm. therapy sessions, like personal, like as a human who goes to therapy every week, like, oh, I just talked about work for 30 minutes. Like, that's not actually why I'm here, <laughs> you know, like, but right. work is stressful inherently, but it's not like the cause of all of our problems. <laughs> so I right. think we're not very good at that, but I think you do a good job, like with the different personalities. I think, you know, the ones that like get up and switch and tag out and bring in the scribe and stuff, <laughs> like I would be bananas if that <laughs> happened. <laughs> you mean the, the, the anesthesiologist uh, having another one come in and and emergency to give a break. i think it oh, was yeah which was funny session. like that would be legit um and then the the <laughs> anesthesia guy wants to take a break yeah. like you would yeah, yeah. guess and then the ophthalmologist has the other guy outside waiting to to do his notes or whatever instead. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan like, described. Yeah. So I mean, I think that stuff would be would you, super distracting. <laughs> would you would you believe that I have no formal training in psychiatry? <laughs> I mean, I know it's shocking, but it's you know. No, I mean, I think it's pretty good. At least, I mean, to, to as compared to movies, at least you didn't try to sleep with all of them. You know, there I think like inherently that'd be interesting to film. Yeah, is that think, that's the thing? Is that the stereotype in like I, TV and movies? It depends. Like, I would say most therapists, psychiatrists, that's like a thing. Like that they get into inappropriate boundary relationships with patients. Um, lately, there's some things of them like trying to kill us and stuff. That's like not like a thing. Yeah, and then there's yeah. like, <laughs> then there's um, <laughs> like we're pill pushing. I mean, there's a lot oh, yeah. of pill pushing from our side, right? Like, so as opposed to like the therapist side where it's more like well tell me how you feel I and know. like i'm not gonna what makes you ask that question which is my least favorite thing that therapists do which is like not actually answer questions about themselves and they're like well why do you want to know about my day and you're like i'm mm. gonna punch you in the face um but actually that's I, that's a <laughs> feedback i i still get every time I, I put a therapy video out there uh some of the comments i get are you know this is this is this is not a psychiatrist this is a therapist you know 
it was a psychiatrist, they'd be just, you know, shoving pills down my throat. I, I, you know, I, I hear that from like comments. So there's certainly that kind of stigma out there. People have had psychiatrists like that. A lot of people come to me where that's the case. I mean, we train in psychotherapy. Like I had, Mm -hmm. I had long-term patients from the first year of residency, but like, we're just not like only training in psychotherapy. And speaking of insurance, insurance reimburses us to see people with meds more than to just do therapy. And so like, Mm. we don't do it that often because of that. And also like, to do weekly something when there's a shortage and no access is also kind of hard. So like we don't do that. So our caseloads can be like 300 and not 50. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't believe as a philosophy that like you can practice what I do without the rest because like increasing a med when you like are going through something stressful in your life, like is only going to do so much and maybe won't do anything. And so like, you're not going to drug, like I'm not going to drug the pandemic out of you. So like, I I need to talk to you or like, if work is really stressful, like you have to figure out how to deal with work and I can help empower that. I can give you drugs to help, but I'm not like a simply a drug dealer. So, but I do think that people have psychiatrists like that, like 15 minute visits, give them their meds, don't ask them anything about sleeping and eating and anything. And I mean, I I definitely have people come to me who are like, you asked me like real questions. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, what was everyone else doing? But yeah, I mean, it makes you feel good about what you think what you do, but also kind of like, oh man, like, you know, things could be better. But um. Yeah, I appreciate that you you have us talking to people because it'll help the stereotype. Yeah. Well, there's more jokes there. It's <laughs> I feel like uh, there's so much. I, I, those are my favorite videos to do. I love filming the the therapy sketches because I I feel like just with with the personalities interacting with each other, it's just endless amounts of material. So, <laughs> what's a phrase I, he should add to his? Yeah, repertoire? do you have like a a, a therapist uh, phrase that? is like classic that I could a lot of things like when you said blah I like I thought blah or you felt blah or I noticed that there's a lot of like pointing Uh, out things that I noticed that yeah that's good and we do a lot of like um summarizing and rephrasing of things for people so like if people talk for like an hour we'll be Mm. like well, what I heard you say was that work is really hard. And when you go to work, you feel really angry. And they're like, I talked for 30 minutes. Like, is that really what I was saying? You know what I mean? But I mean, that's <laughs> really what they did yeah. say inherently. And so we do a lot of like summarizing or like checking to make sure that's a thing. Or we'll be like, I noticed that like every time you mention your mom, you get ticked off or you or you avoid the subject or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's common to like sort of. Mm-hmm. like it's it's very much like how do you name things out loud that like normal people would hate in a conversation like if you were talking to a friend and you were like why did you just change the subject like you probably wouldn't do that unless you really needed to make your friend talk about the thing you would let them go whereas we don't like tend to let things go unless we know someone's gonna get really like it's just not worth it like we don't have a good enough relationship yet or whatever it's kind of like banked in there but it's a lot of like naming things out loud and the relationship is also super important so like my therapist does a lot of like you look did I just teach look at you like a teacher for 10 minutes like why are you looking at me <laughs> and like, you know and I think that helps because like you realize like how you act in the world you just are talking to somebody else and interacting with them and they're pretty good at pointing out like how you are in the in the world and well, I'm, I'm taking notes over here. This is good I'm stuff. I'm always yeah. down to help I, if I, I can help. It's my, you know, well, I, think, I, I you know. could, I could have you send an invoice later. Yeah, I could, I could have you uh, psychoanalyze my characters like all day. But uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's take a, let's take a break, and then we're gonna come back with a couple of stories from our listeners. Okay, let's take a look at some of our favorite medical stories that were sent in by all of you, the listeners. And we have Dr. Jesse Gold to listen to these with us. So we have fan story number one is from Carrie. So she says, I have a personal story to share from my operating room nurse days. I got called in for an emergency surgery once. We were scrubbed in, operating away when the surgeon's pager went off. The circulating nurse retrieved it from the resident surgeon who was unable to answer it as he was up to his elbows inside the patient. Okay. Details. And proceeded <laughs> and, and proceeded to dial the number from the wall phone in the OR. 
The room was, she was silent for a moment as she listened. She then said brightly to the caller, this is the OR nurse. I'm sorry, Pookie is operating right now and can't come to the phone. (laughs) Is there a message I can give to Pookie? The whole room erupted in laughter. The caller had been the resident's girlfriend. Oh, no. And he's a resident, too. Oh, man. That (laughs) resident will not be living that one down. Oh, I'm sure his nickname is now Pookie. Oh, Oh, that's that's a way you forever get the nickname of Pookie. Yep. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Our second story comes from uh, Francesco. Here's one from when I was an idealistic med student. I was walking by a patient's room when I heard, help, help. I went inside and there was a patient laying in bed with a food tray positioned over his lap. I want to eat the food, he said. What's wrong, I said. I can't reach the food, he said. It was then that I realized that he had two-point restraints on his hands, but someone had positioned the food tray far further away from him. Even though I was late for morning rounds, I undid the guy's restraints and let him eat. And then um, and the patient was happy. So I, that's, uh, you know, I, I feel like that's one of those things that we could do better with, you know, just paying attention to yeah. the whole surroundings, the whole situation with the patient and like realizing, oh, wait, I'm putting this food tray here and the patient can't actually reach the food. But OK, but we're skipping over the most obvious point, which is why is he in restraints? Like in what situations? Yeah, sometimes um, you can you need restraints if if a patient is agitated and might be like trying to pull out IVs and lines and stuff. Sometimes they need to be in some like soft restraints to like mm-hmm. keep them from being able to do that. Um but yeah, that's a good question. I don't know about that one. Yeah. I mean, I think that we forget like what it's like to be a patient when we get further along and that med students are the best at that. Like, and then residents who, like the person said they were ideal, like idealistic. That's not mm-hmm. idealistic. That's, that's, hum- just that's human. human, right? Yeah. Like, but that's right. my you, whole shtick. When we time. get older, like it's almost like, well, ugh, like that takes time or who, that's not my job or like, well, I need to just get that diagnostic test and that's easier. Like whatever that thing is, like I think we forget like some of these like really simple things. Like I remember being much more aware of that stuff when I was younger and like mm-hmm. I've had to like pause and be like, oh, wait, like that's not okay or whatever. Things like giving someone a tissue when they cry, right? It's like very simple, but makes a really big difference. And so like, it's not idealistic. Like it should be taught as normal medicine. Yeah. I remember I had an internal medicine attending who would always talk about doing things like getting a warm blanket for a patient, getting a cup of water, you know, or ice chips Mm -hmm. or something like not going and finding someone to like tell them to do it. Like just do it. Like, you know, the patient needs something and just, just get it done. And right. Usually the things that really make a difference hardly take any time at all. Like, yeah. you know, five seconds or less. Yeah. Like pushing someone's food tray closer to yeah, them. For exactly. example, For sure. Don't so, call psych for it either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, I'm sure that's probably a whole nother topic for another podcast of, of the inappropriate consults you get. Yeah. Cause I imagine that, uh, kind of on the on the line of me getting a consult for putting a patient's glasses on so they can see better. It's probably yeah, a, like kind of a, a similar thing. A patient thing. cried because you told them a diagnosis that would make them cry is not a reason to have a psych consult. That's a reason to be a human again, right? Right. So it's very yeah. similar. Like people would call psych like, but why is why they're yeah. crying? With their face is leaking, and I don't know what to do about yeah. it. What yeah, are that's those a normal things? human emotion. <laughs> yeah, coming from their eyes. <laughs> There's some salt that's coming onto salty their discharge. cheeks. Yes, yeah, salty <laughs> discharge from oh, their well, lacrimal. Thank, well, thank you for those stories, and I, I hope that the med students maintain their um, idealism. That yeah, that that just human connection with yeah. patients. Don't try not to lose that. It can be easy to lose that. I feel like in today's world of medicine. But um, yeah, those are good stories. You can send us your stories. Knock knock high at human content dot com. 
Dr. Gold, thank you so much. Tell us uh, what you got going on. Uh, you know, what do you want people to know about you? Where can they find you? Sh- oh, sure. Your I favorite mean, color? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> You're at I, you know, I'm hanging out with my dog on a typical day, doing nothing, watching a lot of TV. Um, you can find me at Dr. Jesse Gold on uh, like Twitter, Instagram, trying TikTok not as good. Uh, I spelled Jesse, J-E-S-S-I, because I was an annoying child that was like, there's no E in Jesse. Jessica. And so that helps you remember that's why Um, I, you know, I'm always writing stuff and it's there or on my website, which is my same name.com. You can always get all my writing and stuff there if you're interested. It's the easiest way to get me. I respond to DMs. So there you go. Well, uh, this is a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I learned a lot about myself. (laughs) That was the goal. Now now you can go sleep because I made you emotionally exhausted. That's right. (laughs) That's That's right. right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Take care. Thank you to Jesse Gold for coming on. Uh, We finally got to talk with a psychiatrist. I bet it's been like on my list of... uh, specialties of people I wanted to have on for quite a while and she was such a great guest and I learned a lot about my characters that was fantastic I wanted to do all of them that's good did you learn anything about yourself uh I don't know you know I don't I'd rather not talk about it (laughs) (laughs) um and thank you uh, for sending in your stories yeah we love to hear those and uh it just helps to humanize the world of medicine a little bit more so send in your stories and tell us what you thought about our episode today of the of uh, what we talked about with Dr. Gold. Um, and let us know if you have any suggestions for other people you want on the podcast. Uh, there's lots of ways to hit us up. Email us, knockknockhigh at human-content.com. We're on social media, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, Instagram. Instagram as well. Um, and you can hang out with us and our human content podcast family at on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. Big shout out to all of the listeners. Thank you for uh, being here and leaving wonderful feedback and reviews. We really appreciate that. If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we'll give you a shout out. Uh, so like Al- Andrew Alford on Apple said, thank you for making a podcast. Love listening to the show while I'm driving. I enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. I hope I hope it's a, a long enough drive for you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's maybe the full week of commuting. We try not to go uh, too long on some of these episodes, but we get carried away sometimes talking. We're having so, so much fun. We are having a lot of fun. Uh, and our episodes are found on YouTube, full episodes every week at at D Glockenfleck in my YouTube channel. Also, we have a Patreon. Lots of cool perks, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies, hang out with other members of the Knock Knock High community. Uh, we're there. We're posting things, uh, stories. I'm making videos, all kinds of stuff. Behind uh, the scenes, yeah, knowledge. Yeah. Early ad-free episode access as well. Interactive Q&A live stream events and a lot more coming. Patreon.com slash or go to glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out to Lisa A. Hello, Lisa A. Thank you for being here. Shout out to all the Jonathans, as always, virtual uh, virtual head nod. Shout out, head nod. Patrick, Lucia C., Sharon S., Omar, Edward K., Abby H., Stephen G., Rossbox, Jonathan F., Marion W., Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C., Brianna L., Dr. J., Mary H. Thank you all. And Patreon Roulette. This is where we give a shout out to somebody who's on the emergency medicine tier of Patreon. So here we go. Do you want to do? Why don't you try it this time? I, I just the, I really can't. The, the do drum the, roll. You can't do the no, drum roll. No, I think I okay. think you are better. Right, you at the, I've had some dental work recently that pre- precludes me. Then from... you tell the name. I'll do the. Okay. okay. Ready? Shout out to Alyssa L for being a patron. Thank you, Alyssa L. And thank you all for listening. We're your host, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the, the Glockenpleckens. And our special thanks to our guests today, Dr. Jesse Gold. Our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, Shanti Brook. Our editor and engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omer Bidsvi. Learn to learn about our Knock Knock Highs program disclaimer and ethics policy, submission verification and licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms. You can go to glockenflecken.com or reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, or fun medical puns. puns. See, I figured I would I maybe try like a little um, ASMR thing. Mm. 
so that people will listen to all the like the legalese like nonsense mm-hmm. at the end. Knock Knock High is a human content production. <laughs>